All right, you guys. Well, I uh, want to welcome you here again. Glad you're here. It's, uh, it's fun to be here. So it's been a month since I uh, have been able to preach uh, in the Gospel of Luke, and I've really been looking forward to kind of getting back into Luke. And uh, so if you have your Bibles, you might open to the Gospel of Luke. I want to apologize, first of all, because the bulletin um, doesn't actually have the correct title for the sermon this weekend, and that's not um, anybody on staff's fault. It's my fault because uh, I decided to just change the sermon without actually telling anybody. So that's actually the sermon title for next week. Um, and the, the, the way this came about was... Um, when I was packing up and getting ready to go to Nicaragua, I was thinking about two verses from the Gospel of Luke that uh, we actually already covered, but we really just kind of <clears throat> kind of glossed through those verses, and we did it because that's what every commentator does. Um, they just kind of get to these verses, they, they mention them, they move on. Some commentators don't deal with these verses at all. Uh, most, most pastors, I notice when they're preaching through Luke, they don't address these verses at all. And yet, I began to come... Um, develop the conviction that they're actually extremely important for us to understand if we're going to move forward in the gospel of Luke. So I actually prayed while I was in Nicaragua, thought about it, and when I came back, I decided, you know, we're going we're gonna to just take a weekend and look at these two verses. Again, I just forgot to tell anybody. So anyways, uh, here are the two verses. They're in your notes. Uh, Luke 4, 42. And when it was day, Jesus departed and went into a desolate place, into uh, some of your translations say, into a lonely place. Um, and then the other verse that sounds a lot like it is uh, in chapter 5, verse 16, that says, but Jesus would withdraw to desolate places and he would pray. So we're going to talk about those two verses and what they mean and how they relate to our life. And to try to maybe give you a little context, uh, I'll tell you a story. So a couple weeks ago, a small team of us were in Nicaragua. And um, there was myself and my daughter Abby was with me and Mike and his daughter Roz. And uh, we were at, at a farm that, um, if you've been going to Gateway for a while, you know a little bit about this farm, uh, Finca Berlin. And it's uh, up in the northern part of the country. Um, it's right on the Pan American Highway. And uh, this picture is actually somewhat in the middle-ish of the farm there. And um, you're looking off right there is a building. It's a kind of a guest house facility that we're working on. And our project was uh, putting in a septic system uh, while we were there. And then uh, back over off to this side is the farmhouse. And directly in back of where I was taking the picture, a uh, little ways is the entrance off the Pan American Highway. And over this way is just a lot of... Uh, you know, desolate space. And then if you go back, you go back to a building where um, it's the, the workshop where guys do welding and woodwork. And then if you go beyond that a little ways, you come to a, a place, there's a, that's actually a greenhouse back there um, where they've been raising some plants. And then if you go off to the left a little bit, and you can't really see it, but there's an area that's um, kind of fenced off with barbed wire. And back in there is a little hut, a little shack where I think somebody used to live years ago. And then there's a, a, the original well to the property with a watering trough for animals. And there's some cows back there. So the first day that we were there, my daughter and Roz decided to explore the property. And she's going to kind of, you know, sink down in her chair now. So they were um, exploring the property and um, went back to where the cows were, all right? So, so my, my daughter... 
Um, your 17-year-old girl sees a, a cow that looks like a third-world cow, right? Looking a, little, looking a little hungry there, and she's like thinking, someone's got to feed that cow, right? Like, but what are we going to feed that cow? Because there's not a lot there. But what they noticed was there's, there are trees there on the farm that grow um, a hickory is what it's called. And it's, it's, a, um, it's about this big. And it has a very um, tough shell on the outside, almost like a, a nut kind of consistency shell, kind of hard. But in the inside is a soft fruit. And cows apparently love hickory. Who, who knew? But it's hard for them to get the hickory because it's got a hard shell. So sometimes they'll find a broken hickory and they'll, they'll eat it. And so apparently Abby had this idea, I'll climb up in the tree. So this is the dry season there. So there's no leaves on the trees, but there's still a lot of hickory. So she was going to get up and get some hickory and get a big stockpile of hickory. And then she was going to feed these third world cows. She was going to serve these cows, right? Just kind of share the love of Jesus with them. And so, um, so she she offered it, but the, the problem was they, they can't just eat the hickory. It's got to be open. So she came up with a plan on how she could feed these cows uh, hickory. And um, there's just a quick, so these are some hickory. And here's just her, this is her plan and how she was going to, how she was going to do it. So they want it, right? And there you go. That's one happy cow there, all right? Now, it seems like a foolproof plan. The cows like it. <laughs> Abby's having fun. Everyone's happy. But, but Roz is going to say something. I feel like we've done our part. She said, I feel like we've done our part. And what she meant was, what you can't see is, um, that their little feeding frenzy here was so successful that, uh, that more and more cows were congregating and pretty soon there's not two, but three, four, there's 10 and more cows. And so Abby's trying to feed these cows, but she can't keep up with them. And finally they start getting, old. so she's serving these cows, but they're getting kind of pushy. And at one point she can't keep up. So one of the cows just comes up and just headbutts her and knocks her to the ground. Not just knocks her flat backwards. So she gets scraped up. She comes up, these, these cows she's serving, and the next one uses a horn and just kind of gets her right here, just kind of gouges her a little bit. And that's when they decided it was probably time to back away, you know, to, to leave the situation. Now, I tell you this because sometimes in life, we, we are serving people, we are helping people, we are giving of ourselves, but sometimes, sometimes we need a break. Sometimes we need a little retreat. We need to back off because you know what I mean? You can serve people and after a while people can get pretty demanding. And so we're going to talk about this today in this, in this passage, these two passages. And uh, the first thing we're going to notice is this, is that Jesus is a guy who invests himself, and we've noticed this so far in the Gospel of Luke, he's investing himself in the lives of people. He's serving people. So, you know, here's Abby, she's serving the cows. And now I don't want to, you know, I don't want to compare us to 
cows, but I might. So, um, so here's Jesus and he's, he's serving us. Now the context for both of these verses in Luke is this, that, that Jesus has been pouring himself into two things in particular, um, glorifying God and serving other people. And those really go together. So Jesus is out there and he's, he's serving people. He's bringing glory to God that the four gospels together reveal to us in chapter four and five of Luke that Jesus is beginning to teach a lot. He's, he's traveling around. He's teaching. Now, I don't really know, like, it got me to wonder, and I wonder if there was any prep time involved for Jesus. Because I spent a lot of time prepping, but I'm like, I wonder if Jesus had to study for a sermon or if, you know, he just kind of woke up and, hey, I'll just preach a sermon. I'm not sure. But there's the preaching, and it's, it, preaching is exhausting work when you really get into it. Um, the crowds are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. I'm sure when he's done, you know, preaching, people want to talk, and they've got stories, and they need advice, and they just need, they, they just want to talk to somebody. And, and then Jesus is as he's walking around and he's, he's casting out demons. Demons are freaking out when he's going places. And I, I've actually only been involved a few times in dealing with demons. And I can tell you, it's intense. Um, it's, it's tough work. And we get the idea, by the way, when we, when we read about Jesus in the Gospels, that it was intense for him as well, physically speaking. Uh, people are bringing their, their sick they're sick loved ones to him. Um, and Jesus is so compassionate when he sees people who are sick, when he sees pe- people who have leprosy, as we talked about a few weeks ago, um, when he sees people who are, are not doing what he feels for them, his, his heart goes out to them. And so Jesus is, the crowds are getting bigger, the needs are getting bigger, and Jesus is trying to help these people. It's going on all the time. And in Luke five fifteen it says now, even uh, more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. So we get the idea that every day that goes by, there's more people and there's more people and there's more heartbreak and there's more, you know, uh, demons that need to be cast out and there's more people that need to be fed. In the Gospel of Mark, it gives us an interesting kind of slant to this. It says, now Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city. He couldn't do it because the crowds were too big to go into most cities. It would just overwhelm a city. So to to do the residents of cities a favor, he stayed out of, of local cities, but he stayed out in unpopulated areas and they were coming to him from everywhere. So word gets out about Jesus, like, you know, he can heal your, your health issues with no appointment and no copay, right? So who doesn't want to be a part of that? So, so people are coming and other passages will tell us that pretty soon Jesus doesn't have time to eat anymore. He doesn't have time to sleep. He can't get refueled. And now, so here's Jesus. He's investing his life in other people, that the crowds are getting, you know, the, the herd is getting bigger and bigger and, and they want more and more stuff. They're, they're demanding. And now remember, Christ is our example. And one of the things we'll notice over the next couple years in this gospel is that um, in the same way that Christ came to serve, he's called us to serve, to do the two things he did, bring glory to God and, and serve people, to show them the love of God. So here's Jesus and he's serving. And what he does next was probably very unexpected for the crowds. And that is, he was a guy who would seek renewal through solitude, through solitude. So now, here's what I mean when I talk about solitude. We're gonna define solitude this way. It's the discipline of occasionally withdrawing in order to be alone with God. So we're not talking about um, a lifestyle. We're not talking about um, retreating to a monastery, uh, you know, living in the, the middle of Montana where no one else lives, uh, becoming a monk. We're talking about something different, about occasionally withdrawing 
in order to get plugged into God in a different way than when you're with crowds. In verse 16, again, that's what it tells us, but, but he would withdraw to desolate places or, or places of wilderness or lonely places, some of your translations say, and he would pray. So you have to understand that from time to time, um, Jesus would be healing people and, and ministering to people and they'd form a line and the line would get longer and longer and longer. Like have you ever been at like Target and you're in a line and they close the line? Have you ever, and then you have to go to another line and how, but that's apparently at some point that's what Jesus would do. He'd just be like, you're the end of the line, right? And then he'd, you know, he'd, I gotta get out of here and he'd be gone. And I'm sure for some people, it probably seemed rude. It probably seemed uncaring that Jesus would just shut down the line as it says and he would just leave. He would, with, he would just withdraw from people. Now, a couple things we have to understand here. There's a little term, and we've used this before, it's the term hypostatic union, right? So it's a theological term to describe what it meant to be Jesus. He was, he was God, eternal God, uh, and, and all those things that go along with it, but he was in the flesh. He was in a body like ours. This is something that is difficult to understand in all its nuances, but Jesus is God in a human body. Um, and his human body had the same limitations that your body has. Now, here's where it may have been different, difficult for Jesus. I think maybe part of the battle that Jesus faced, being God in the flesh, was that his body probably could not keep up with his spirit. That makes sense. His spirit is, he is God. He thinks like God. He functions like God in his thinking. The intensity, the, the passion of God, the desires, the priorities of God, but the body can't keep up. I don't know if you've ever felt like your body can't keep up with all the uh, things you would like to do. His body can only be in one place at a time. Um, he, he had limited time. He had 24 hours a day. Didn't have more. He had limited energy. He, he had to eat. He had to sleep. This is part of what it meant for him to be God in the flesh. So again, in, in chapter 4, verse 42, it says, and, and when it was day, he would depart, and he went into a desolate place. So this, Jesus has a flow to his life. He's intensely serving people, right? He's loving them. He's, but, but then he begins to reach limits physically, and I think that begins to impact him spiritually. He recognizes that he's reaching his limit, and, and then he retreats, if you will, and he goes to be alone with God where he can find some restful solitude and reconnect with his, with his father. Now, the Bible gives us kind of in general a, a way to do this on a weekly basis. Um, six days of serving, the Bible says, and the seventh day we call the Sabbath, right? And in the Old Testament, they were very legalistic about this, and, and we'll, we're going to talk about this in weeks to come. Um, Jesus wasn't really as legalistic about the Sabbath as uh, like the religious leaders of his day. In fact, he got in some pretty heated arguments with them because they were very legalistic, but Jesus was not. In fact, Jesus uh, would engage at times in work if you will, on the Sabbath. Um, that's what the religious leaders, they accused him of breaking the Sabbath. They accused him of working on the Sabbath. And, and what we'll discover in the weeks to come is Jesus would say, I'm not breaking the Sabbath when I help other people, when I serve other people. Um, so Jesus isn't legalistic about it, but he does observe the Sabbath. And in general, it says six days you work, six days you serve God and other people, and one day you need to rest. Now, Taking a regular Sabbath is just a really smart way to live. And, and for some of you, 
It's probably very natural. And you know, sometimes I talk with people and just this flow of six days on and one day off is just a very natural way. It's the, the way that you're wired and you can do that. For some of you, it's not. It's very hard and it must be a discipline, right? So now the American way is kind of like we work hard and we play hard, right? That, that, that's kind of what we do. But a lot of times, um, as Americans, I think, we, we kind of pride ourselves in being really busy. A lot of times, I think, as Americans, we think, if I'm really busy, that means I'm important. To be really busy is a way to prove to other people and to yourself that you're just a person who's in demand. And a lot of times, we like to say, you know, somebody says, how are you doing? Well, fine, but I'm really busy, and I, I don't have any extra time. And sometimes, it's kind of bragging for us. It's kind of a way of proving that we're really important. But the problem is when you're really busy, when you're always going, when you're always on, what it ends up doing is it ends up starving the soul. And we become very, very shallow people. So in general, there's six days on and one day off. See, the Sabbath is about, is about Jesus. It's about putting him at the center of that day in a, di- in a different way. But now, there are going to be seasons in life that make that difficult. And the same thing is true for Jesus. Some seasons that are so demanding um, for a period of time that you may need a special kind of Sabbath, if you will, and a time to get away. And, and that's kind of what we're talking about here with these passages. Now, we all, we all have this from time to time. I was thinking this week, like, I kind of got in the situation uh, about a month ago, two weeks before I went to Nicaragua, and it's always like this. There's time where I'm, I'm preparing to preach on the weekends, but at the same time, I'm, I'm preparing material to teach while I'm there, um, to leaders and to preach while I'm there. So there's usually two pretty intensive weeks before Nicaragua of kind of doing double duty, and then there's going to Nicaragua, there's the traveling, um, there's, the, there's the extended teaching there, there's you know, just the heat and the schedule and, you know, digging ditches and and moving sand, I, and I don't do that a lot with my job. Don't know why, but I don't dig a lot of di- uh, ditches as a pastor. So I go to Nicaragua, and I'm digging ditches, and it's a little different, and then uh, we arrived back on the uh, Monday evening before Easter, so Tuesday I needed to hit the ground running and begin preparing for, for Thursday night where we had our service, and then getting ready for Easter. So anyways, it's the last Saturday night, we had Easter night, and I just knew it's gonna be an extended period, about a month of just every single day, Every day, just going and going and going, serving God, serving people. Now, Sunday after, after church, we got together with my wife's family, go to Milwaukee, and so we drove over there, took two different cars, because my plan was, well, we'll go over there, I'll spend some time with her family, and then I'm gonna, I need to come home and start working on this sermon for the next weekend. So we were there for a little while, and then I drove back and got home, and I, you know, broke out my commentaries and fired up my laptop. And I'm kind of sitting there at the screen and I'm thinking about what I'm gonna talk about, right? Talking about the need to just be with God at times. How that's sometimes more important than anything else. And so I just made the decision, as I do sometimes, I decided, you know what, to close the books, turn off the laptop, and I just lay down on the couch, and I, I'd memorize these two passages, and I just spent some time in the passages, spent some time alone, not writing, not studying, but just being with God. And I, what I can tell you is that those times, while it, for, for my personality, it often feels like um, I'm making the decision to do nothing. I don't know if that's how it feels for you, but sometimes I feel like to just lay down on the couch and, and just think, think about some, some verses or just rest and be with God. Feels like I'm doing nothing when the truth is nothing could be farther from the truth. When you decide to put everything aside and just be with God, 
There, God is with you in a way that he is not with you in the busyness and, the, and, and all the loudness of life. And, I, and you need to be warned that sometimes when people push themselves and when they will not stop, when they, when they physically, even when it's good things, understand, even when you're serving God and serving people, and as a pastor, I've seen this over the years, people who push themselves beyond the limits that God would have them to go, and when they begin to just physically and spiritually get run down, over the years, I've seen all sorts of things that happen when we won't slow down. Things like people who develop a dependence on, on stimulants, on, on energy drinks and caffeine, I, one of the really dirty little secrets that I find among, among Christians, especially the younger generation of Christians is, they'll, you know, they'll say, we don't do drugs, we don't do alcohol, but they do Red Bull all day long kind of thing, you know? And this is kind of, no one really brags or talks about it, but it's, and you have to ask yourself, what does it mean when the only way I can get through the day is to pump, you know, stimulants into my body? That may be a clue that you're pushing yourself too far, too hard. And it's not even just that. I see, I've seen depression. Uh, I've seen um, how it causes all sorts of physical illness in people when we push ourselves too far physically, how people develop just really bad attitudes. There's escape addictions, which I'm seeing as a, as a pastor. I feel like I'm dealing with more and more and more as the years go by, um, especially middle-aged men who will not stop, who keep pushing themselves, and pretty soon they, they start to develop these addictions, kind of these escape addictions, um, things like porn, things on the internet, um, sometimes gambling, sometimes alcohol, these things to escape to just get away from the craziness of their life. And sometimes people just burn out. And, and when you spend time in solitude, when you make that decision, I'm going to make the decision at times to get away from the craziness of life like Jesus did and just be alone with God. Two things you need to understand. Some people just won't get it. Right? There's, if you decide, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get away for a day, I'm gonna spend some time with God, there are gonna be people who won't understand. There are gonna be people who are offended. There are gonna be people who try to guilt you into not doing it to try to stop you, just as they did with Jesus. When Jesus would try to get away for a while to be alone with God and people would find him, they'd be like, you know, hey, what are you doing? Come on, you need to be back with people. Some people won't understand. And the second thing you need to be careful of is just that it can feel selfish. It can sometimes, and I'll have people say, I'd love to get away for an hour. I'd love to get away for a day and just be with God. But it feels really selfish to do that. And what experience has taught me is this. There's nothing selfish about it at all. Because when you are rested and connected deeply with God, you are a better husband. You are a better spouse. You are a better parent. You are a better friend. You are a blessing to people in a way that you cannot be when you are burned out. And, and you always, oddly enough, end up accomplishing way more when you're able to do that. Now, I, I found over the years when we talk about this idea of spending time with God, some people find it easy and some people find it hard. Now, some of you are contemplatives. That is just the way that God's wired you, it's very natural for you to withdraw for a while just to spend a day in prayer, to spend an hour meditating on scripture, just to go for a walk and be absolutely silent and just listen to God for a couple hours. And for some of you, it's just painful. It just hurts to do that because some of you are contemplatives and some of you are kind of activists, you know? I mean, like you want to, there's always something to do. There's always somewhere to go. There's always someone to serve. There's always a chore to do. And, and it feels like 
um, you, it's just, it just hurts sometimes to say, I'm just gonna get away and not check off any boxes. I'm just gonna be with God. If you're an activist and you find it, it, it hard to just get away and spend time with God, consider who is more of an activist than Jesus, right? Nobody. Like, who loved people more than Jesus? Nobody. Who healed people more? Who, who taught people more? Who, who hung out with people and served people more than Jesus? Nobody did. And yet even Jesus took time to get away from the crowds and the madness and just be alone with God. What I'm saying is this. For some of you, it's going to be a discipline. Right? You're not going to do this unless, it's, unless you, you, you put it on your calendar, right? Unless you... you Pick a place where you can be alone and you set a date and you get some accountability and you, you make a plan. And, and by the way, when we talk about getting away with God, it, it could be for 30 minutes, it could be for 30 hours, but the big question that comes up is, okay, so what do I do, right? So I'm going to get away with God, but what do I do when I'm away with God? So there's a lot of things you can do, but the, the main goal is this. You want to put God at the center of your time. So he's, he's at the center, and that's going to involve a, a, a bunch of things, but let me just mention several things that you can do with God when you're alone with him, and uh, most of these come from Scripture. One is, obviously, you can pray. Now, some of the passages that talk about Jesus getting away mention prayer specifically, and some don't. They don't tell us what he did, but we know that prayer was a part of that. In Mark 1.35, it says, "...in rising very early in the morning..." his way of sneaking out before everyone got up. Uh, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. So when we talk about being alone with God and praying, it's probably the thing we think of the most, it's talking to God. And sometimes people will be like, well, what do you say to God? <laughs> like after five minutes, you know, run out of stuff after 35 seconds. Well, um, you know, it's one of the good things to do is to, to, to compile some, some prayer requests for the people in your life and, and for your life what I like to do is I actually use the Lord's Prayer as a template, and I kind of walk through it. I start with worship, you know, and then I talk about God. I pray for God's kingdom to come in my world, in my life, and then I pray for my needs in my life, as Jesus said, and then I, I pray for my relationships with people. Where does there need to be forgiveness? Like, so it's, it's kind of a nice template, and I find if I pray through the Lord's Prayer in my life, it can take quite a while to get through there. I mean, it's, it's a real positive way to do it. Um, now, I'll just tell you, for, for me, for prayer, for praying, if I'm going to pray more than five or ten minutes, it's hard for me to sit still for that long. So oftentimes, I like to pray while I, while I go for a run. So my, my body's doing something, but I don't really have to think when I'm running. Um, and uh, so it's good to pray during that time, sometimes while I'm on a drive, because I usually don't think at all while I drive, obviously. Uh, sometimes... <laughs> If you see me drive. Um, and then uh, sometimes if I'm mowing the lawn at home or doing chores, it doesn't really, it, for me to keep my body busy is a way for me to, to pray longer. So I'm just saying you can do that. Uh, on the other hand, if you can kneel down and pray for three hours and God bless you. But prayer is one of the things that you can do. Here's another thing. Uh, this is kind of the flip side of prayer and that is silence. In Psalm 62.1, the psalmist says, for God alone my soul waits in, in silence. So silence is the other side. A lot of times we think of prayer as just talking to God, just talking, talking, talking. But in the Bible, actually, prayer has two sides to it. There's talking, and then there's not talking. <laughs> like when you have conversations with other people, right? There's talking, and then you don't talk, right? That's the way, they, then they talk for a while. And that's an aspect of prayer where we stop talking. 
where we just, where we get quiet, where we don't ask God for stuff, where we don't have an agenda. Now, I, I don't know about you, this is hard for me. It's hard for me to just, with God, to be, to be quiet and to not let my mind just wander off into all sorts, of, all sorts of places. So again, what I find is the silence part to listen to God comes best Again, oftentimes when I'm, when I'm on a run or when I'm doing some, my body's busy, but I can just be quiet. And people ask, like, does God really, does he really talk to you? And like, what does his voice sound like? And I, so I don't know what his voice sounds like, but I can tell you that when, I, when I'm with God and I get quiet, um, and this will go a lot with a, a, another thing we'll talk about in a minute, um, I, God does speak. God does lead. His spirit does work in our hearts and in our minds. I, I believe that the Holy Spirit is active. I believe that he's working in our hearts and working in our lives. A lot of times when people tell me, well, I don't, you know, I don't even know what that's like. Usually that doesn't mean that the Spirit hasn't been busy. It means you just haven't been listening. God, is not in, God does not compete with the radio. He's not gonna compete with the television or with Facebook. He doesn't do it. God waits for you to be quiet and to shut up so, and, and to listen, to hear his voice. And when you do, you will find that there is a God who speaks to you, who, who leads you. Here's a third thing that, that we do. You spend time in the Bible. Jesus, one time when he's praying, he says, he prays for us, he says, sanctify or that is grow people up spiritually in the truth, your word is truth. So a lot of times when I'm getting alone with God, I might just read a verse I might read a, a chapter of the Bible. I might read about a situation in Scripture or about a, an individual. But again, it's time to, uh, to fill your, your mind with the Word of God. And then this, the, the next one kind of goes along with this, and that is to meditate. And it, when you read the Psalms, you see this idea of meditation coming up a lot. In Psalm 119, the Psalm says, My eyes anticipate the night watches that I may meditate on your Word. So, Christian meditation is not like um, kind of Eastern meditation where uh, you're, you empty your mind and just, you know, let the powers that be take over. That's not what real meditation is about. Real meditation, biblical meditation, is where you take a verse of the Bible um, or a couple of verses of Scripture um, or an idea in Scripture. And so what I'll do oftentimes is I'll just commit it to memory really quick, uh, maybe before I go for a run or I go for a drive, or I'll put it on a three-by-five card. And then as I'm, sometimes I like to do this when I'm running, especially if I'm teaching that week, I might take the passage I'm teaching on, put it on a card or memorize it. And while I go for a run, I'll just think about that verse. I'll just focus on that verse. I'll, I'll say it over and over again, and then I'll just let it kind of ruminate if this makes sense, sometimes when I wake up in the middle of the night, I'll just kind of let it ruminate in my head and in my heart. And here's what I find. When you meditate on Scripture, the Holy Spirit speaks to you. In fact, I'll tell you this. The, the, the best sermon prep I ever do is when I have time, and I always try to make time, to the, whatever I'm teaching on, to close the books, to turn off the computer, 
and um, to turn off the phone and just be alone with God. Because what I find is when I'm alone with God, with a passage of scripture, God teaches me things that I don't find in books oftentimes, that I won't, that I won't find in conversations. God opens up passages and makes them real to me in a way that I don't find anywhere else. And the best Bible study I ever do is, now don't get me wrong, I, I think reading commentaries, is when you're, especially when you're teaching, is essential to, to, to get wisdom from other great teachers. But you haven't gone as far as you should go if you don't let the God who gave you the scripture speak to you about it. One of the, one of the um, biggest mistakes you can ever make in your walk with God is to not give yourself time. If you do not take time to meditate on scripture, I, all I can say is you have no idea, no idea what you're missing and how powerful that time can be. Uh, another thing that you can do when you're alone with God is sing. Um, you, I, I say this because it's in scripture all over the place. Psalm 33, 1, sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous, because it's fitting for the upright to praise God. So sometimes I'll just sing a song. Sometimes, um, you know, I'll play my guitar. <laughs> sometimes I, I put worship music on. I did this the other day. I put worship music on, my iPod. I go running. And sometimes I don't. So this happened a couple days ago. I didn't realize as I was running that I was singing out loud. And I was running by some guys giving me this weirdest look when I was running. And I realized, oh, I'm singing out loud. It probably sound awful. But anyways, singing is another great way uh, to worship God. Here's another one, and this is kind of an interesting one, but I, I say because I, people, I, a lot of people tell me this. They'll say this. They'll say, I almost never feel as close to God as when I go for a hike in nature and um, I, I get away from the concrete, I get away from the buildings, I get out in creation. Uh, people say I begin to notice God's handiwork. I begin to, you know, I look at the trees, I look at the, you know, the animals. I just, I begin to see God's handiwork everywhere and it makes me think about how, how amazing God is and how powerful God is in his creation. And even though Paul's talking about, uh, he's coming at it from a slightly different angle in Romans 1. He does say this, for God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. And it's, it, when people tell me, I really feel close to God when I'm out in nature, it, it makes sense because <laughs> you're out and you're seeing God's handiwork. Sometimes people say, you know, I, I go out at night, I look up at the stars and it makes me think just crazy thoughts about God and how big he is and how great he is and it's actually biblical. So again, this is one of the ways that I think that you can be alone with God and to worship him. And I'll mention one more that isn't um, specifically mentioned in scripture, but it's, it's journaling. Um, and in Psalm 77, 12, he says, I will meditate on all your works and consider all your mighty deeds. I consider journaling kind of physical writing down uh, way of meditating. Um, I love to journal. Uh, journaling for me is like this. It, it's where I take time at the end of the day to reflect on God in my life that day. And here's what I've learned. Sometimes I'll write about what I did that day. Sometimes I'll write about something God did that day. Sometimes I'll write about my family and, you know, something crazy that, you know, one of my kids fed a cow that day or maybe, um, you know, about some things I'm praying about or a blessing or something from the Bible. But here's why I love to journal. Because when I journal, I, I can't write or type as fast as I can think. So journaling makes me slow down as I review my day. And when I slow down and begin to recount my day, 
I almost always notice something that I missed during the day. I notice a blessing or a conversation or something that God did that I was so busy during the day I never noticed how God answered my prayer or how God blessed or what God did. But at the end of the day when I go back and write about it, I, I find these things. And, and so for me, it's a great way to capture the day and what God did. Um, journaling is, I, for years I used to do it on a pad of paper these days. Um, I do it on my computer and it's great because I feel like I'm leaving a legacy. I often put some pictures on there. And, and one of the really fun things, by the way, to do with a journal after, if you keep it for a while, is um, I like to go back sometimes and just pick a date in the past and look up that day and read about it because what I'll, sometimes I'll look at something like 15 years ago. I'll look at an entry and sometimes I'll look at like what I was praying about or what I was worried about or anxious about or what wasn't going right. And then I'll, I'll like look back and I forgot all about it. And what I forgot was that later God came and did something or answered something or worked in some way that I forgot all about. And it reminds me about how good God is. I'll tell you, we, we forget about God's blessings so quickly, don't we? And think about what it costs us when we forget about how God bless us. When we, when we forget what he does, we're forgetting a little bit about God and how good he is. And I, I think one of the reasons sometimes we're not sure God's good or we're not sure God's working or answering prayers is because we're just not paying attention. So I love journaling because I, it's a way to capture what God is doing. Well, all right, so there's a lot of other things you can do when you get alone with God, but I want to mention, um, on the other hand, three, I'm just calling them three killers of solitude. Now, I'm sure there's more than three, but three things you need to be concerned about. And the first one is this, those people. So I, this is kind of tongue-in-cheek, all right, but with Jesus, you understand, there were crowds of people that were following Jesus. And, and some of these people had an agenda for Jesus. You can read it, we'll read in the future. Jesus, you need to do this. You need to go here. You need to teach this. You need to work this miracle. Like, and I think what you'll find is there are people like that in your life. <laughs> you, you get away with, you get, spend some time with God, you come back, and there's people waiting for you when you get back. And here's what you should do, and here's how you should spend your time. And there were people around Jesus who were really needy. Now, granted, a lot of these needs were legit, all right? But there were a lot of needy people. Um, some of these people in Jesus' life were very demanding, as we'll see in weeks to come. They wanted to tell him what to do and how to do it. And there's always a crisis. Some, you know, there's always something only Jesus can do. And I think we all kind of, have, you know, we've all had those. There's people in our life and there's, a, there's always a crisis and there's always something only you can do. And, you know, if you, they're sending you email and if you don't answer the email, they text you and they'll call you on the phone. And if you answer the phone, it's like, you know, dinner's over, the week's over over whatever it is and so there's always going to be people who want they want to keep you from getting alone with God they want to keep you from doing that they want to capitalize your time uh, it's been said you know you've probably heard this and and our we have grow groups in our church and we like to say this in every grow group every grow group has that person in it right and, and if you're not sure who that person is, then it's probably you. But there's, so in every group, there, there's these people. So be, you gotta be careful of people who wanna monopolize your time. Here's the second killer to solitude, and that is not planning it. So many, many of us, if, if we don't put it on our calendar and, and protect it, it will not happen. 
right? And for some of you, you're, that's what it really comes down to and the reason you don't have time with God isn't because, I mean, you're probably sitting here going, well, of course, I, I should do that. Probably really important. But the problem is if you don't put it on your calendar and then protect it. And here's what I've learned. Here's what I've learned as a pastor in the 21 years I've been here. Okay, when, when, some, when, I've, when I need to be alone with God, when I get, it's like, this is essential and I gotta get there. And somebody calls me and says, I need to see you right now. Okay, what I've learned to do is to, I have to protect that time because I'm not gonna be any help to them if I'm, not, if, if I'm not tight with God. So I've learned over the years, I don't, I don't tell people, well, I can't, I can't be with you this afternoon because I just have to get away from you because they, they don't take it well that way. So usually, what, you know, I'll just say I have an appointment because I do. I have an appointment with God and it's, it's more important than any other appointment I'll have. And so, you know, for, for many of you, you're like me, right? I've got a family, I got a wife, I got three kids, I got a home, I got finances, I got an oikos, I need to love, I need to get exercise and chores, my calendar's full. Bam, that's it, right? And for many of you, it's the same way. You've got, some of you, you got school and that's most of your time. You know, if you're married, if you have kids, if you've got a job and you're in a grow group and if you don't plan it, if you don't write it on your calendar, if you don't protect it, it's not going to happen. And here's the third thing. And now also, right? So technology, says the guy projecting it on the screen. All right, but anyway, so um, technology. So I don't want to like rant on about this because here's what you need to understand. I love technology, all right? I love technology. I love the, the benefit that it brings. Technology keeps me organized. Technology keeps me on task. I have a to-do list for everything. I have alarms set all the time. But, but here's what a lot of research is saying. There's a downside to technology. And spiritually, I would say that the downside is that technology is slowly killing our alone time with God. Between your cell phone, between the, the nonstop texts and the Facebook alerts and being on the laptop and the Wi-Fi and the radio and the TV and the Snapchat, whatever that is. I mean, like, we're just, we're just we're in a world where you are continually connected to people, God tends to get neglected. Right? Now, I know, I know how this works. Most of us have convinced ourselves that we can multitask, right? Even though science says, no, you can't. We all think, no, I can. I can. I can do multiple things at one time. But there is an increasing, in fact, an alarming amount of research that is saying that there is a huge impact to what we call screen time, right? Between the phones and the laptops and the iPads. And that is that this increasing amount of screen time is one of the things it's doing is it is hurting our ability to focus on the people we are actually with. So what they're saying increasingly is when we are with people, we're not with them, right? Because we're with them, but we're answering text and we're, we're, we're with other people instead of just being with them. It's hurting our ability to have deep, meaningful relationships with the people sitting across the table from us, with the people who live in our, in our house. They're saying that our ability to concentrate for long periods of time is, being, in fact, they're saying that we're growing up an entire generation of kids who don't know how to concentrate on something for hours at a time. And the problem is there are some things in life you can only figure out when you take hours of time to concentrate on them problem solving, decision making, 
They're talking about increasing health issues, um, vision issues, um, thumb issues, no joke, right? Like um, um, headaches that people are getting because of this stuff. Um, people spend less time examining their lives, um, examining their decision-making process. Uh, it gets very scary when you read some of this stuff. But think about it this way. Who, you think about all the people that you're plugged into. Who do you need to hear from more than God? Whose advice do you need more than God's? And I'll tell you what, I, I've learned, it took me a while to learn this. But I cannot have a meaningful conversation with my wife when the TV is on. Right? For like years I thought I could, but I, I cannot. Or when the radio is on, or when I'm texting, I cannot, I cannot do it. Not like when everything is off and my wife and I are having a discussion. And the same is true with God. When our environment is noisy and vying for our attention, we rarely hear God. Which explains why a lot of people tell me, I don't even know what that's like. I don't even know what it's like to hear from God. Like it's a big mystery. And the reason is because we, won't, we don't have the discipline to turn off the phone, the tablet, the laptop, the TV, the music. I go to, I go to prayer meetings and, and meetings with pastors all the time whose phones are going off all the time. It's not just young people. As adults, it's true for us as well. And sometimes people will say to me, well, I, with my job or with my family, you know, it's really hard. It's really hard to turn all that stuff off. Let me, you, you know what's harder than turning your phone off? Here's what's harder, not hearing from God. Life is way harder when you don't hear from God. You lack direction when you don't hear from God. You have stress instead of peace. You have a soul that is tired, that is worn out, that lacks passion, that lacks direction, that lacks an agenda. You lack joy in your life because you are not connected with God in any meaningful way. Now, if Jesus had to get away from the crowds, had to get away from the noise to hear from God, what does that mean for you and me? We need that as well. So I kind of had a feeling that this would happen. Uh, so we'll just wrap up this last point quickly. But here's the deal. Jesus is, if you look at the pattern of his life, it's not like I'm just going to get away and be with God for the rest of my life. No, Jesus would get away for a short period of time and, and reconnect with God, re-engage with God, and then he would jump right back in to, to a focus of serving people. In Luke 4, 42, for example, notice that Jesus got away, he's all alone, and the people sought him, and they came to him, and they would have kept him from leaving them, but Jesus said to them, so watch what happens here. Jesus gets away, spends some time with the Father, the people find him, all right, so you know, retreat over, um, the, cr the crowd finds him, and then they're like, Jesus, we have stuff for you to do. And notice what he says. He says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns, I read other people as well, for I was sent for this purpose. So Jesus goes away, gets some time with God, and comes out with this focus, with, with this purpose, with this intentionality. Everyone says, here's your to-do list, and Jesus says, no. Not because those things are bad but because the Father has given me an agenda. Where did he find that agenda? From being alone with God. And, and you are surrounded with people who have an agenda for you, right? That you're surrounded with people who, you know, here's where they want you. To, you should do this. You should serve here. You should give to this. You should take this job. You should, should be with this person. Now, 
One person put it this way. I, I found this quote. I don't even know who said it, but they said this. I thought they put it well. You have more things you can do than things you should do, right? They, you, you have a limitless amount of things you can do with your day. If Satan can't make you sin, he'll just keep you busy. Not doing bad things, but neglecting first things. So the big question is this. How will you ever know God's agenda for your life? if you don't get along alone with God in solitude so you can hear from him. And the reason I think so many Christians today have no direction, no, no God-given, passionate intentionality in their life is because they never give God a chance to give that to them. So Jesus' practice was to pour himself into people to serve and to love and at times to get away, to reconnect with the Father, to just hear God and then he would dive right back in. So I have more to say. We've got to be done here. In Lamentations, it tells us this, and I think it's a great passage. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. So here's a little homework for you. I don't have this in your notes. I want to encourage you this week to do this. In fact, you might have to do it tonight, because if you don't, it's not going to happen. Get your schedule, get your calendar, get your iPad, whatever you got, and schedule this. You gotta schedule it. Pick a day, pick a, pick a time, pick a location. By the way, it's always good to kind of get somewhere where you can actually not be around people. Maybe you need to take a walk, take a hike, whatever it is. Get a calendar, set a day and time, pick a location. Where are you gonna do it? So write it, write it down. Write it on your notes, if you will, or on your calendar. And here's what you do. Tell someone who needs to know. So if you're married, you probably... Maybe you might want to tell your spouse where you're going. If you're, you know, live at home, you're a kid, you might want to tell your parents, but tell them, here's what I'm going to do. Here's why I'm going to do it. So there's a little accountability. So they'll ask you, did you do it? And maybe they'll help you. You know, I'll try to help and protect that time. And then lastly, just, <laughs> then just do it. Just follow through and do it. And take some of these things we've talked about and get alone with God. So I'll just end with this verse. I'm sorry we had to skip a bunch of stuff tonight, but Psalm 46.10 will end with this. Be still. God says, be still and know that I'm God. I love this. Be still, get quiet, get alone, and know that I'm God. And then he says, I will be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted on the earth. God's just saying, it doesn't matter what you do, I will be. It doesn't matter where you go, doesn't matter what you say, doesn't matter what you spend, doesn't matter what decisions you make, I'm going to be exalted in every nation. I'm going to be exalted on the entire earth, okay? That's where history is headed. God's just saying, wouldn't you love to enjoy that? Wouldn't you love to be a part of that? Be still. Okay, your whole world does not depend on you fixing everyone and everything and all the time because God's going to do his thing. You need to be plugged into God. So here's my advice for you. Some of you, I just, I'm preaching to the choir tonight. You do this, you, it maybe it's refreshing for you to hear about it. Some of you are here tonight and you're like, I've never done that. But you need it. I want to encourage you to not just go home and forget about this. You got to do it. And I'm excited for some of you to have the opportunity to hear from God and what he has for you. Let's pray together.